So we are in this series called Uniquely Luke, and we're doing all the passages that are only in Luke's gospel, all the stories, all the parables. Here's the problem whenever you go through the Bible like this. You don't get to choose which text it is. You just deal with what it is and what it's saying. And honestly, today's text is brutal, especially for Americans. So get your seatbelt on. Here we go. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray you'd grant humility today to tell us not what we want to hear, but what is true. Lord, I thank you that when you approach us, it is with a scalpel and not a chainsaw. Lord, that you come only to cut away that which is wrong so that our burden is lighter and our worship can be purer. So God, please do not spare us today. Do what only you can do in each one of our hearts. We will give you all the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The title of the message is Conquering Covetousness. The word covet, covetousness here is, is a Greek word it, it means to desire to have more. And, and it's, it's a desire that if not abated will eventually control you. It is translated greediness elsewhere. And in other translations, um, right here, it's translated greediness. So it's, it's covetousness, but it's specifically in relation to money. No one wants to hear God say one day, fool. You're a fool because you prepared for the wrong future. We've only got a few minutes on earth and you, you put all your energy and all your time in making sure this little future is secure and you neglected to prayer, prepare for eternity. And now everything you work for is gonna go to somebody else and, and, and your soul is required of you even this night. Covetousness. So we've had Matt my son Matt and his family with us this last week and they've got a little boy, Ethan. He's three, he's almost four and he is a huge feeler. There's no one more enthusiastic and, and more excited than Ethan, but there's also no one more unfiltered than Ethan. Ethan can go from in huge celebration to screaming and shouting and mourning and, and in just a moment. And so... 
He's got very strong feelings, and, and so, so this week, we, he had gotten some banana, and, and then it was no more banana, and, and Nana said no more banana, Mom and Dad said no more banana, and we're sitting outside, and he comes out, and he says this to, to Alice, he says, my tummy says it wants more banana. <laughs> and Alice says to him, well, you're going to have to tell your tummy that it doesn't always get what it wants. And I'm waiting for a, a huge scene. And instead, he opens the door. He's going, and here's what I see, hear him say. Tummy, you don't always get what you want. <laughs> Conquering covetousness first. The first thing Jesus says is be on guard. Lord, no, teacher, tell my brother to share the inheritance with me. And he says, who has made me judge or arbitrator between you and your brother? Have you ever noticed that we really want God to speak to somebody else? Yeah. Teacher, speak to my brother. Tell him to do the right thing. It's very similar. A couple weeks ago, it was Martha. Martha, tell my sister to do the right thing. My, my sister. And this is just so human. God, you know how right I am. Please talk to my spouse and let him or her know how right I am. Please, God. Could you help them do the right thing? You know... He's not asking for Jesus to be his judge. He wants Jesus to speak to somebody else on his behalf. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. God says, I want you to do justly yourself. You take care of doing justice, doing the right thing. Then I want you to love mercy for everyone else. I want you to believe the best about everybody else because they're not your business. You just, I will be their judge. You, you take care of yourself. But he's not asking for Jesus to be his judge. He wants him to be somebody else's judge. And so Jesus doesn't speak directly to him. He answers the issue, but he doesn't speak directly to him. He speaks to the crowd there, but really he is speaking to all of us about this underlying problem called covetousness. Be on your guard against covetousness because your life is not your net worth. Your, your life is something very different than the things that you possess. Turns out that covetousness is a silent killer. It's listed as the second of the seven deadly sins given by Pope Gregory and expanded on by Catholic scholar Thomas Aquinas. The, the seven deadly sins are, are called them because of this. They are the sins that are underneath all the other sins. 1 Timothy 6.10, here's what Paul says. For the love of money is a root. It's underneath all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. 
a silent killer, killer, kind of like carbon monoxide. Carbon, carbon monoxide is a gas that has no odor, taste, or color, yet it can cause brain damage or death before anyone realizes that there is a problem. Jesus called it the deceitfulness of riches. There is a a deceiving power in money that can blind you to itself and it can do tremendous damage and even kill you spiritually. I had a real eye opener. I was a youth worker. It's the mid 80s. I'm an investment broker at that time in Madison. I'm working for Roger Olson, who is the youth pastor here. I'm one of the youth workers. I remember the small group. We were, we were immediate. We would worship down here and then we would break into our groups. And I, I had what I thought were the godliest guys in the group. These are the guys that worship. These are the guys that go to all the events. These are the guys that go to, I, I spend time with at camp and the, the, Topic was your dreams. And the introduction question was, tell, tell us what, your, what the dream is that you have for your life. And honestly, I, I just assumed that the, there were going to be these beautiful, wonderful dreams about glorifying God, doing the will of God, influencing the world. I, I don't know what I had in my mind, but it wasn't what I heard. When these guys got to just share... And I'm not there to judge them. I'm just there to listen to them. And they got to share what their dreams were. And here's what they all wanted. Money. They all wanted to get rich. They all, some of them wanted to get married and have kids. But it, money, 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 money. And I'm like, oh, my. Oh, my. It's this hidden thing that can be caught. Why is it deceitful? Because it's hidden under this right desire to be responsible, to provide for your family, to prepare for the future, all things that Proverbs commends us for. But in the name of that, it can become God. It can become this driving force that starts to control your life. And I'm like, these, these guys, oh boy, Lord, help us. The Bible tells us, Uh, A few weeks ago, we talked about Elisha and Elisha's shamelessly, shameless audacity asking for the double anointing, wanting what heaven had to affect this earth, to to bring God's power and anointing and goodness into this world and and how wonderful that was. Well, the guy that was was to take over for him, his name was Gehazi. And uh, there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 that, that, that tells what happened with Gehazi. Gehazi, he's set to be the next prophet. He's set to be the, the, the anointed double again. And, and, and he's being trained under, he's exactly to Elisha, what Elisha was to Elijah. And uh, this servant girl in Syria tells her master who's named Naaman. He's a general in the Syrian army that uh, he's got leprosy. And he says, there is a prophet in Israel. You should go and get healed. And so Naaman, this really important general, comes and, and he, he, he comes to Elisha and Elisha gives him the words and what to do to, to be healed. And, and he gets healed and he has brought with him all of this money. He's brought with him lots of silver, lots of changes of clothes, new clothes, and he wants to, as the world does, pay for what it gets. And so he is prepared to pay what, you know, you name the price. I've got all this here. And Elisha says, no, we're not taking anything. 
We will take nothing. This is, there is a lesson here about the grace of God. Everything God does is free. We won't take any money. And so Naaman takes off. All right, so be it. Well, Gehazi is like, wow, we really wasted an opportunity. This guy, it's not like we were charging him. He wanted to give us this money. This is a waste opportunity. So he goes after he goes after Naaman, and he, and he says, uh, he, sa- he makes up a story. He says, hey, some prophets have come to us just when you left. They came, and actually, we could use a little something. And he says, how about a talent of silver, which is a lot of silver. It's like 75 pounds. And here's what Naaman says to him. Take double. Take double. So he gets all of this silver, loads it up on his donkey, and he heads back, and he hides it, and Elisha's like, you, you think you can hide from... Guys, when you work for a prophet, you don't do secret things. I'm sorry, <laughs> expecting to get away. He's like, do you think that you did that? He said, my spirit went with you. I saw everything that you did. And here's, what the, and here's what the Lord says. The leprosy of Naaman is now going to cling to you. The leprosy he was just healed of is now going to cling to you. And it says, from that time on, Gehazi left the presence of Elisha. He, he lost his place. You, you couldn't be near lepers in that culture. So he now is, is separate. Leprosy, interesting, is a disease that paralyzes your nervous system. It, it numbs you so that you, you can be burned or cut and not even know it. You become insensitive. Your nervous system becomes insensitive. God never takes back the silver that he got. But he gets this insensitivity. This is what happens with covetousness. Covetousness can get into your life and it can start taking over and God lets us do stuff, but there's always a judgment and you get this insensitivity to God, insensitivity to people. Covetousness. My first round with covetousness uh, I, I, I got saved in the early 80s. I'm in college, very poor. I'm in college. And then I get filled with the Spirit, and I am so excited about Jesus and about glorifying God. And then McDonald's comes out with, this is the very first time they had it, Monopoly. Monopoly at McDonald's. And I love Monopoly. I love McDonald's. I love Jesus. This is all working for me. And so the the grand prize, I think it might have been a million dollars. I can't remember for sure, but I'm like, I just did the math. Are you kidding me? I'm a Christian. God is God. He can make anybody win that he wants to win. And I will just be his vessel. A million dollars in, a million dollars out. The poor... The, the missions, the church, so much good can come. And I'm just this humble vessel, and I play Monopoly. I get to eat a little at McDonald's. God lets me win, and, and the world is blessed because of it. And so I had settled that in my heart and my mind. Told no one else about it. I didn't tell anybody that I was doing this. This is just something between me and God. Well... What happened is I started getting some of these pieces, some of the, you know, some of the crucial monopolies that would pay the most. And I got to thinking about how poor I was (laughs) and about how much it 
it takes to get to go through school and you know, I'm putting, and I'm, I'm just like, you know what? What if, what if I kept 10%? Still give, still give 90%, that's a hundred, it's a hundred thousand dollars that I would have and I could do a lot of good with that and that would help me to, you know, put a little, be a little nest egg and, and so, okay, I'll do 10%. I'll give away 90, God, new arrangement. I will give you 90%, I will keep 10%. Well, then I collected some more and I'm starting to get close on all, several of the monopolies and and I got to thinking again about that. Mm-mm. Hmm. And so I come up with a second arrangement. God, what if we split it? You, you deserve half. You're the one helping me win. You get half, and I'll give half away, and then half will be, you know, get me through college, be a nice nest egg, you know, maybe buy a house in the future, and I won't have to whatever, da-da-da-da. Okay? Then I keep collecting. I, this is a true story. This is just embarrassing. I had now collected every single piece except the main piece in each one. I mean, I am on the verge of winning. And I say this to myself. Why do I have to be so spiritual? God only asked for 10%. (laughs) That's where it went. I ended up, God was now going to only get a tithe of what he gave me. Thank God I didn't win anything. (laughs) Praise God. I think the only thing I won was like a free cheeseburger. (laughs) The deceitfulness of riches. One of my uh, favorite movies is uh, The Christmas Carol. And uh, in the 1951 version is with Alistair Simpson. We used to watch it every single year at Christmas time. And the reason why I watch it, the reason why I loved this movie is because it's all, it's all about covetousness as just a guard for covetousness. It, it is, it's all about Ebenezer Scrooge who has become this stingy, grumpy old man and he's just functioning and he's visited by these spirits and the first one is the spirit of Christmas past and he shows him why he became the way he is. And they take him back to his past and, and his, his mom died while giving birth to him, so, and his father never forgave him. That was the first wound. And then when his sister, who was his only friend in the whole world, died, she died while giving birth to his nephew. And so he did the exact same thing to the nephew that, that his dad had done to him. He wouldn't forgive his nephew. And, and what became the center of his life was, was money. And he, he's, he's engaged to this beautiful woman who happens to be named Alice, but his heart has been changed. And so there is this scene where she confronts him. She says, you've changed. You don't love me anymore. And he says, when have I said that? And she says, not in words, but you've changed in how you view the world. He says back, the world is cruel to the poor. Will you condemn me for pursuing wealth that protects us? She says, you fear the world too much. Your love for me has been replaced by a golden idol. And she said, would you choose me again? She takes the engagement ring off. Would you choose me again, a poor woman, 
with no position, if you could do it over, would we, would we still be engaged? And he gives him the ring. She gives him the ring and he takes it and he says, well, if that's what you're choosing, and she's, he, he leaves and she says, I hope you're happy with the life that you have chosen. And he leaves and she weeps. And of course, he's there with the angel now, the, the spirit seeing it, and his heart is breaking because of the mistakes that have been made, all because of this golden idol that grew in his heart. Every Christmas I watch it. God, keep me. Keep me from covetousness. Guard me from covetousness. Conquering covetousness. Number one, be careful. Number two, be generous. We can't take wealth with us, but we can affect our hearts by how we use it. And our resources will affect eternity. Just a few verses later, Jesus alludes to this. This is Luke 12, 32 through 34. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is Jesus saying, this is really serious. You need to address this. This is, sin is serious. When something has a hold of you, Jesus says in one place, you know, if your eye is causing you to sin, take it out. If your hand is causing you to sin, take it out. It's, it's hyperbole he's using. But the point is this, is nothing is more important than eternity. Nothing is more important than your soul. And he's saying, your father wants to be your provider. Don't fear the future. Don't fear this world. You are free to give. You are free. And as we give, the Bible says that our heart will follow it. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul also alludes to this in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Here's what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So this is God's command to those that are rich in this world. That, that it's, it's not, you'll notice, it's not a guilt message. It's not those that have a lot should feel guilty. No, those who have a lot should be grateful. God, every blessing that you have, God has given it to you for your enjoyment. But... Make sure you're laying up treasure there too. You need to be generous. You need to share. It turns out that giving is an antidote for covetousness. That God has arranged that in our giving, it breaks the power of covetousness over us. A month from now, I've got a whole message on money because in Luke, Jesus has a whole passage where he talks about money and worldly wealth and it's the test of eternal riches. And so we will talk about this then. 
And so I'm not gonna go into it now, except to say this. You said like, well, why does Jesus talk about money so much? Does God need our money? No, what God wants is our hearts. And it turns out that our money is really close to our hearts. So the idea that God is gonna have you and not have your money, not happening. And so when God asks us to be generous, it's because he's generous. He wants us to become a generous people and he doesn't want money to hold us. He wants to be our provider. He wants to be our source. He wants to be the one that takes care of us and not us trying to do it all ourselves. All right, so point three is be content. How do we conquer covetousness? First, be careful. Second, be generous. And lastly, be content. Paul says this, 1 Timothy 6, 6. Godliness with contentment has great gain. To be godly and be happy in your godliness is, is gonna be great gain for you and for everybody around you. God wants us to be happy in him. He wants us to be rich in our relationship with him. Paul says, listen, we come into this world with nothing and we are leaving with nothing. God wants us to build our life, not in our possessions, but in this relationship with him. Here's what he says in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Some translations, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So we oftentimes take that out of context and just, I can do homework because of Christ. I can do football because of Christ. I can do whatever. I can do all things through Christ. And, and all of those are true. We need Jesus for everything and Jesus will help us with everything. But in its context, it's specifically about this contentment. Paul says, I have gone through seasons where I haven't had enough, just scraping to get by. And then I've had other seasons where I've had more than enough. I've had plenty. And he said, the purpose of both seasons was that I would find my contentment in Jesus Christ. That it doesn't matter what my circumstances are, my joy is in my godliness. Godliness means to live close to God. I found joy in God. I have learned this. I've learned that God is always enough, whether I'm having a bad day or a good day. I've got everything I need in God. I have got this relationship that just keeps giving and giving and giving. And God is using my circumstances to get all of the complaining and whining out of me. Well, I'd be happy except for that. I'd be happy except for my boss. I'd be happy except for my spouse. I'd be happy except for my kids. I'd be happy except that I need a new job. I'd be happy if we could just have this, if we could just go on this vacation, if I could just own this truck, if I could just, and God's like, oh, okay, let's get you, let's get that out of you. <laughs> and I just love it. It's a process. Paul says, I've learned this. You don't just get this all at once. You learn it. Life teaches you this. God will teach it to you. It, it's, a, it's a secret. There's a secret joy. When you see it, you're free from this world. You're free from your circumstances. 
How are you doing? Good under the circumstances. Here's the question. Why are you under the circumstances? God wants you to be over the circumstances. He he wants to teach us how to walk in his joy because our provision is the relationship. So uh, I want to read this from Deuteronomy 8, 16 through 18 and chat about it a little. In the wilderness, this is verse 16 through 18. In the wilderness, it was he who fed you manna which your fathers did not know in order to humble you and in order to put you to the test to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you are to remember that the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth in order to confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So here's Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means second law. God had given the law, then they went out into the wilderness for 40 years and lived on manna, and now Moses is about to die, and he's giving the law a second time, and he's interpreting what, what happened in the wilderness, and he's preparing them for life in the promised land. And he says, here's why you went through this long season of manna. Now that season was a season where there was never more than enough. It was just enough for each day. You actually, you tried to save up and the manna went moldy. You, God had arranged it that he would provide one day at a time. And this is a season. This is a season that everybody goes through. You might be in that season right now. You might be wondering, how long is this season going to last? I try to get ahead. I can't seem to get ahead. It's just like, I'm just getting by, just getting by. There's another bill, another bill, another bill. And I've just got enough just to get by. God, I hate this. I, 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 can't there be another season? And God says, here's why I have that season. That season is to humble you. And it is to test your heart so that it would go well with you in the end. We want it to go well with us today. We want to have a good week. We want our life to be all better right now. And God's like, I love you so much. I see everything. I want you to make it. I I see all of the dangers of money and around money. And I see all the lies you could tell yourself. I'm, I'm taking you through this time to teach you this secret that I'm your provision and that I'm enough. So that, he says, otherwise, if you, don't go, if you didn't go through this season, if you have none of this in your past, otherwise, you're gonna be deceived by money when you get into the land. Because when you're in the promised land, there's gonna be an abundance and you're gonna say to yourself, I did this. I, 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 I'm the one that, that got this wealth. I'm the one that got all of this. And and then you will leave God, and, and you, it won't go well with you in the end. So God's using both seasons. Both seasons are a different test. When you have more than enough, the, the test is, will I try to tra- take credit for it? Psalm 62.10 says, when riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Your identity is not your bank account. Your identity is not how new your car is. Your identity is not how great your vacations are. Your identity is in Jesus. So, so both seasons are a test. Well, I, you know, I could, t- I, I, could handle, I could handle being rich. God, test me. 
Uh, test me with riches, God. I know I could handle it. Um, well, you know, look at what happens with pro football players that get paid millions and millions of dollars up front and they're 25 years old. Usually doesn't end well. Turns out money has a corrupting influence. It's a, it's a great servant, but it's a horrible master. And so God's taking us through seasons to break our characters from the love of money. Hebrews 13, five and six. Let your character be free from the love of money. He himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we say, the Lord is my helper. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is, God wants us to get strong in him. Jesus says this, the world is living this way. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? And what shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear tomorrow? He said, this is what the Gentiles are living for. This is what they are seeking. This is called survival of the fittest. And the point is just to stay alive. And Jesus said, I came to free you from that. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added for the father knows that you need them. The father, father is aware of your needs. He's aware of your desires. He will take care of you. I want you free from survival. I want you to seek first my kingdom. Seek first what is right, what I am asking you to do. I will take care of all of the other things. It's all about aim. What are you aiming at? He was aiming at the wrong thing, and he became a fool. He was aiming at this this life, these riches, my comfort now, so that I can make a way that I can relax and just have it easy, and God says, fool. Interesting. He didn't want to be judged now. This guy wasn't asking Jesus to be his judge now. But I got news for you. It's better to be judged now than be judged later. Everybody's going to sit... Everybody's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible said it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We will all give an account of our life. And happy are those that say, Jesus, judge me now. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So what Jesus says to this guy, he says, you fool, tonight your soul is going to be required. And Jesus said, so it will be for everybody that pursues treasure for themselves down here, but is not rich toward God. Did you know that Jesus came to this earth to make you rich in God? Jesus, though he was rich, though he was God, had all the glory of heaven, had all the angels as his servants, who he was Lord of all of heaven, though he had riches untold for your sake, he became poor. Philippians 2 says it this way, he humbled himself and became human. 
He put on human flesh. He lived, he was the, the, lived in a family, a poor family, a poor Jewish family 2,000 years ago. And it goes on to say that he humbled himself farther by allowing himself to be condemned as a criminal and to die on a cross. The innocent lamb of God had to become a human being because human beings had, had sinned against God. Human beings had a penalty over their lives of death or separation from God. And so to pay that price, he had to become human. He became human. He had to also be God because he had to be perfect. He had to be absolutely perfect. To be a sacrifice for us, he had to be the perfect, he had to live perfect himself. So Jesus became poor and in his poverty is now able to make us rich. The Bible says... The reason why he died and rose again from the dead is because God, the Father, wants to make us his children. He wants to give us his inheritance, which is all of heaven. All the riches of heaven he wants to give to his children. It's just the nature of God. He wants to share what he has with all of us. So Jesus has died and rose again so that we would be rich beyond any measure for all Eternity. This is why he became poor. This is why he came into the world. 